Welcome to this week's edition of the Speaking Artistically podcast. Each week we talk about arts and entertainment in Edmonton inspired by the weekly Taproot Arts Roundup curated by friend of the podcast, Fonda Misrush. We are produced by Bottom Line Productions and published by Taproot Edmonton. Hi, I'm Josh. I'm Kate. I'm Katie. And we're Speaking Speaking Artistically. Artistically. Welcome to Speaking Artistically episode number three. Woo! That's it. It is is a woo-worthwhile Thing. I hope you're keeping track of the numbers because I'm going to lose count really soon. <laughs> I write it down <laughs> I sh- and I put it on SharePoint. So it's like, how do you know that? Yeah. Mm. Well, you know what? Maybe at some point we can be mysterious and say, oh, it's actually episode 51. And someone will write in and say, what? Where did where did the other ones go? Treasure it's, hunt. It's a mystery. We could, yeah. we could be superstitious and not have a 13th. Oh, yeah. that's totally a marketing. <laughs> that's totally a marketing thing. I like mm-hmm. it. Okay. Uh, let's jump right into uh, the what we saw in Fonda's taproot this morning, um, or Thursday if you're listening to this on Friday, or last week if you're listening it, to it the week after it's been published. See how I did that? <laughs> it's all about writing and selecting plays. As, 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 that's how we've interpreted it anyway. And the first one is talking about Belinda Cornish, our friend of the podcast, Belinda Cornish, and the well-made play. We've worked with Belinda in, from in BLP a fair bit. We've done some stuff with uh, Bright Young Things. She is, of course, involved heavily in Free Will Shakespeare Festival. She uh, wrote the Inferno adaptation for uh, Firefly Theatre last year, which we helped out with. And she's just an all-round cool dude. I really <laughs> enjoy chilling with her. I think, uh, I'm not sure if you guys have had some time to spend with her, but I think you should. Um, she's got great stories, and she's got a great background, and she just really doesn't take any crap from anybody, cool. which is just lovely. Come hang out with us, Belinda. Yeah, Belinda, there's a chair right <laughs> over here. We're, we just are going to ongoing. Every week we're going to have it. The, pull out the chair for Just an someone. empty chair every week. Every yeah. week. It's just one extra chair. It is. Literally, there is one extra chair right here, and anyone's welcome to jump into it. Um, Belinda and is working on her newest play that's coming out, By the Skin of Our Teeth. Not by the skin of our teeth, Josh. Seriously, the skin of our teeth. Bright Young Things Theatre uh, is going to, is of course part of the Varscona Theatre Ensemble. And she talked to the journalist Leanne Falder about the well-made play. She talks about characters and really dense storylines. It can be um, very uh, tragic, but yet it can be very uh, funny and there's great character development, there's a beginning and a middle and an end, and those are all important things. Now let's talk about what we think makes a good player script, and of course how other folks that we know about in our community choose these kinds of plays. And we have a great interview coming up, the first interview, <laughs> first interview on in the podcast, which we'll get to in a moment. I believe that a good story, now this is whether it's theater or whether it's film or whatever, even a good song to some degree, Katie, a good song, <laughs> is something that's timeless no matter when you listen to it. Absolutely. I would agree with that. Well, thank you. Yeah, no. <laughs> Good comment, Josh. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, I mean, it has to it has to speak to the people that, um, that are listening to it or watching it or seeing it in some capacity. Otherwise, it's not relevant anymore. And why are we, why are we spending 90 minutes watching something if we don't feel it's relevant anymore? And, but that being said, that's all going to be personal opinion. Not every person is going to find something relative or, or relatable. You're going to find something relatable differently than what I'm going to find something relatable. 
I think too, there's, there's so much now, like there's so many movies and so many plays and it's, I don't think it's just me that it seems like there's more of everything than there Mm -hmm. ever was before. And I have a, I have a lower tolerance for things I don't like at this point. Mm -hmm. Like I never used to turn off a movie halfway through if I didn't like it. And now I got better things to do with my time. (laughs) You know, I, I walked out. I remember it's, Mm. I was a long time since I walked out of a movie for the first time, but that was about 20 years ago. Do you know what it was? What? Arnold Schwarzenegger's jingle all the way. Oh, wow. Merry Christmas, everybody. There's a Christmas theme wow. show. I went to the movie theater, and I think Sinbad was in it. Correct me if I'm wrong, listeners. But it, it was definitely short. Jingle all the way. And I couldn't, I couldn't you just handle couldn't. it. You just and I couldn't. had to leave, and it was the first time that I'd ever walked out of a movie. Yeah. Wow. Well. Yeah, I used to get like kind of invested in it, and even if I didn't like it, I'd see it through. And now, nope. Just it's just going off, mm. <laughs> yeah. Mm. And I guess you know everything also has its place. Like not everything needs to be um, a big statement about the world or politics or society. Sometimes people want to go see things that are just entertainment. You just know, fluff. sometimes a yeah. Of sometimes not people a bad thing. no, absolutely not. Like sometimes people just want to go to the theater and they want to have a good time and they want to you know go to go to a musical and sing the songs and just feel good leaving the theater. But also that completely does something for for people as well mm-hmm. and society, right? Yeah. Can the songs and the content be also relevant to somebody that's seeing it? it I think it can be, but it doesn't have to be. I think you is the point. I think Kate yeah. hits, yeah. hits it on the head when she talks about um, it it's super it's super subjective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I'm going to get something out of seeing uh, a, something with kids than someone who doesn't have kids mm-hmm. Would, mm-hmm. would get it. Uh, just seeing uh, the waitress for the first time uh, two nights ago in Calgary, and there, and when the when the daughter shows up at the very very end, and just the interaction that she has with her mom and stuff, I was like, oh my god, I totally get it. <laughs> Single tear, but yeah, yeah. But I was <laughs> into, parenting tear. But yeah, I was talking yeah. to the actors who don't have kids when we were doing interviews in Calgary. And they're like, yeah, I could see how you get that, but if when we, if you don't have a kid, then you don't can't feel it. You know, yeah. I mean, we're acting, they said, but but yeah, it's whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's like when you start crying at Pampers commercials. Oh. Like that's, when you, that's when you like really know. I, I don't know if I've cried at a Pampers commercial, but that's good writing. That's good, good writing. writing. <laughs> Even commercials can have really good writing. When you write to to the hormones. Oh, that's right. No, it's true. Right. Yeah. But good marketing, mm-hmm. it's good. If you're going to write a good ad, make sure that people remember what the message is. Mm-hmm. I, I, we've all seen ads and stuff where we're like, I have no idea what they were selling, but that was a great ad. Yeah, maybe yeah. we we can have an episode when the Super Bowl commercials come out. All about Super Bowl commercials. Ooh, Josh content. just lit up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, like that. Yes. I, love the, I love the commercial. You love the Super Bowl. You love the commercials. Oh, yeah. It's everything commercials you love. and trailers are the best form of marketing because you have to get your message across in a very short period of time and, mm-hmm. and really excite people. Not like a play that mm-hmm. can take anywhere from 60 minutes to, in some cases, four hours but we talk about relevancy and subjectivism I mean I find my favorite play and I've talked about it before is is, uh, Shakespeare's Richard III because of how relevant it is today and and that it was written some 400 years ago and I know 400, 500 is the magic Shakespeare number everything from Shakespeare is written 500 years ago but I don't have the exact date sorry everybody I, I just know that when you can uh, when when the story is about the fear of somebody you don't know taking over the world 
taking over your country. And that was what he was writing about. That can happen consistently and has happened consistently mm-hmm. over time. Well, and those those are universal um, themes and universal fears, right? It's yeah. like a play about love is probably never going to, you know, go, go out of style. Exactly, yeah, yeah, because yeah. that's something that, regardless of the time period, regardless of who it is, that that's that's a topic yeah. that everyone can relate to in yeah. some capacity. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. There was a company in town, gosh, a lot in town, I don't remember who, I know Kevin Corey was involved in it. They produced a, a Romeo and Juliet with gay men. And, uh, it, well, the, it, it, was, it was implied that Romeo and Juliet were both gay men. Mm-hmm. So RNJ is what they called mm-hmm. it. I want to say it was Azimuth but in one iteration, but I, I, I'm probably wrong. So please correct me, listeners. Kevin Corey, because I know you're listening to our podcast. <laughs> and it was quite interesting. It was the same story. All they did was switch gender. And, and it, then it creates a subjective uh, relationship with the audience that perhaps no one had ever considered right. before. So taking that kind of timeless... Mm-hmm content and just rejigging it slightly can have that kind of an impact. But I think where Belinda's going with her well-made play discussion with Leanne Falder was that um, stuff can be, no matter when it was written, if it has good characters in it Mm -hmm. and it has a really good storyline, it never really goes out of style. It doesn't matter if it was written in World War II or just Mm -hmm. or or in the the 19th century or in the 70s. Um, it can be, it, and it doesn't have any sort of deep political message of the era. Then you're right. It's about love. It's about for friends. It's about relationship. It's about your mother-in-law, which never goes out of style, right? We love our mother-in-law. Yeah, <laughs> we really do. Um, and so I think that that kind of a message can have an impact, regardless of how you're programming theater. Well, speaking of theater, should we? Should we move along to our interview? That's a great idea. We spoke with John Hudson, who's the artistic director of Shadow Theatre, and about about just this topic, about choosing plays and how to program a season. So have a listen, and uh, we'll come back to it. Hello, John. Hello. <laughs> Welcome to the Speaking Artistically podcast that we're doing as a part of Taproot. And we're actually here in the Varscona Theatre. We're in the dressing room just before you're doing the first read. So thank you, because yes. I know you're directing the first uh, first I'm show not. of the season. <laughs> Nancy McAleer is And you're just hanging out. Show. Yeah. <laughs> so. um, you've been choosing seasons for Shadow for over 25 years. Correct. What changes for you year to year? And what have you learned over a quarter century of choosing shows? Um, no serial killer plays at Christmas time. (laughs) (laughs) What was that? What happened? Uh, we did Serpent Kills many years ago, which is a great play, but it's, (laughs) it shouldn't be done at Christmas time. That was, it's an interesting idea. People might not want me to see that. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we always look for balance, right? Uh, so... A little comedy, a little drama. Yeah. We always look for plays that just, for us, it's plays that hit our hearts, right? What is emotionally engaging about this play? Um, of course, we have a new play uh, development program, so we, we're always looking at what's now ready to be performed. Yeah. What can we uh, put on stage? And we start from there. For instance, uh, not this season we're about to start, but the one after. Yeah. I have one play committed on, and that's a new work. You're, so, you're looking ahead to 2020, 2021. Oh, I'm looking, looking forward wow. 
Two seasons. Wow. Yeah, so I've got this season planned. I'm looking at the following two seasons. Why do you have to go that far in advance? Um, because I like to. <laughs> yeah, it's just I think it's... You want to know what's happening out, what's the zeitgeist in the world for great new plays. Yeah. And uh, so you got to keep your finger on the pulse of all that. And then, you know, finding plays like Heisenberg and uh, right. <clears throat> things like that. Um, just keeping your ear to the ground that way. And, you know, probably read 30 to 40 plays a year. Wow. Just to make sure we're wow. keeping up with everything. And, uh, and then you make a short list from there. And then how does everything balance out in that short list? Right. And, uh, yeah, then we take it from there. When you talk about incubation and developing new work, how far in advance have you liked to, to do that kind of thing? Uh, it depends on where the play reaches us, what stage it's in. Right. Um, say for the comedy company, it came to us as a concept. So here's an idea I have for a play. Hmm. And uh, are you interested in that? And you, yes, we're, that's a great idea for a play. Let's move forward with that. And then we have to work through, I think with Comedy Company, we did seven drafts. Wow. So over two and a half years. Wow. So, yeah, so pretty extensive. And then, you know, each draft is vetted by myself. And then on that case, it was uh, Reed McCollum as a dramaturge. Yeah. And then Reed and I would sit down and make our notes. Mm -hmm. And then we'd sit down with Neil and we'd... Uh, haggle over those notes, wow. yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah. but Neil was an awesome collaborator. He really was. He he could recognize a great idea when he saw one, and he pushed back when he needed to. Hmm. Do you yeah. think? How do you know as an artistic director and a director that the play is ready? Uh, great question. Uh, that's just thirty years of experience. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's just like okay, this play is ready to go, or it's really close to being ready to go, and we'll be able to do the final polish on it when we're in rehearsal. So, which was the case with Miss Teen last year. Like we were pretty darn close, and then yep. uh, having Michelle in the rehearsal hall with us, we were able just to makes a difference. Yeah, and go over line by line. Having the play right, right. We, we were line by line on that play, and sometimes it's as little as. You know, these two words, if we trim these two words out of a sentence, that'll just be smoother on the actor's delivery. Right. And just uh, like when I'm directing a piece, I see it as a, a score and that I'm the conductor. So mm -hmm. I know what the play is going to look like and I know what the play is going to sound like. Mm -hmm. Right. So then I've got to get the actors to hit that rhythm and, and you know, when to slow down, when to speed up. Yep. Sometimes it's like literally what word to hit. Wow. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so, no kidding. Yeah. So, uh, do you if do you prefer to to do that work with new plays or to take an existing script that's already been? Yeah, six one half dozen the other. Uh, I love working on new work. Yeah. There's a um, wonderful creative element to that that's really exciting, but. When you're digging into the very best plays written by the best playwrights in the world, yeah. <laughs> there's a certain glory in that as well, just because you really get to mine some terrific material and yep. uh, try and bring the best out of the best. So. Have you ever have you ever had a play hit the deck that is that wasn't ready? Like if you were set back after opening it? Mm, yep. Really? Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, and probably shouldn't have 
programmed it, but right. you know that the, you make, you're going to make mistakes, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> Quarter century yeah. Yeah. programming. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, there will be you know, some misses. every now and then. You're going to miss <laughs> every once in a while. Yeah. So and sometimes you know, as I said, uh, with new work, sometimes the play comes pretty fully formed to us too, like the. Happy birthday, Baby Jay, that yeah. uh, we're doing at Christmas came pretty fully formed. Right. Now we're going to do a three-day workshop at the end of October here yeah. and uh, just have a last chance to kind of do a pass-through it with uh, Nick. But yeah. I'm, I'm really super confident in where he's at with this place. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that one because it's happening later on in this season. Yeah. Shadow, uh, when you say that you're, it's fully formed but you're still going to workshop it, has it been premiered already? It never has. This is going to be the world premiere. And that's why you just want a chance to let the actors hear it, uh, have an opportunity for the playwright to hear it and yourself so that you can say, okay, once again, it's like maybe this little section needs a little work, a little trimming. This particular plot point isn't quite clear enough. Mm-hmm. That'll give Nick another you know, five weeks to go back and just make any little adjustments he right. may, may think is needed or we decide are needed between right. all of us. So, right. Yeah. What's, what does fully for, or more fully formed look like then to you? Let's compare uh, Happy Birthday Baby J to the comedy company. Like, what was right. the difference? Well, comedy company comes without, there's no script at all. Ah. Right? It's wow. just like, this is an idea. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard about this. This is a true story. Mm-hmm. Um you know, we're coming up to the 100th anniversary of the end of the First World War. I think it's the perfect time to try and and do this play and try to premiere right. it at that time. And so um, then you just have to say, okay, we're going to take the plunge. Um, we'll see how far we get prior to actually having to schedule it. <laughs> so are we far enough along that we feel the play will make that final leap and yeah. be ready? Yeah. And it was, um, although we did... Pretty significant work also in the rehearsal hall on Comedy Company. It was a couple changes, significant changes structurally that happened in, in rehearsal that uh, really made a big difference. Was it an organic thing? Oh, it was, okay. yeah. And actually one of them was a suggestion from one of the actors. Wow. Yeah, okay. and Neil was open and a smart enough playwright to say, yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> so, that's super yeah. open-minded. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. you know what? That's what great playwrights do, right? right? Um, yeah. I remember reading uh, Hume Cronin's biography many years ago, and of course he was a great actor. Had worked with many, many people through the classic uh, period of American theater. Yep. And he said, uh, "Yeah, here's a list of all the playwrights who would listen to what actors said <laughs> and and take their advice." And it was like Arthur Miller and Tennessee Williams wow. and William Ming and uh, Lillian Hellman. And he said, "Here's a list of all the ones that wouldn't." It was like <laughs> Joe Smith <laughs> and <laughs> Fred yeah. Zabersky yeah. and whatever you know. It was like yeah. people you'd never heard of, right? So, of course, as an ensemble art form, um, the wisest playwrights listen carefully to what everyone has to say. Not that you want to take every opinion that comes your way. You know, things can. Get sideswiped. You have to have a, a strong backbone that way too. But you have to be able to recognize a great idea when you hear one. Right. Yeah. You, um, the types of artists that you like to work with, like as playwrights, for example, you seem to enjoy working with local and Canadian. I would, I don't know. I'd say definitely Canadian, definitely local. But is there a reason why you like to have work with local playwrights in developing? Well, it's just they're my people. <laughs> right, they're my community, and they're the ones who know me, and they're so they pitch. Okay, right. Yep. Um, we've had we've done just just a couple from 
like Happy Birthday Baby Jay with Nick. Nick is a Toronto playwright, but Nick knew us from his time at university. Uh, he went to U of A, and yeah. so he knew who we were and had confidence in what we were about. And then Michelle and I connected. Uh, Michelle's from Vancouver, and I was directing at the Mayfield Dinner Theatre doing um, her play, Henry and Alice Into the Wild. Right. And with about two performs or two rehearsals to go, uh, their artistic director asked me to trim 10 minutes out of the first act. <laughs> and wow. I said, I can do that, but I need Michelle's permission. Yes, of course. And so um, I made the cuts, and Michelle and I talked about all the cuts, and she is still using that script. Okay, yeah, cool. From where we, we trimmed up. Part so, of the collaborative Yeah, nature. and then so we connected, and she said, I have another play that I think needs some... It's been premiered, but it needs work, and uh, I think we could take it further, and I think we really did. So, yeah. 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 Do you take, into, after a quarter century, do you take into consideration the audience's perspective? I mean, what kind of an audience is Shadow Theatre audiences? What do they want to see? Yeah, it's a pretty... Um, Typical theater audience, really. It's mostly, um, you know, sixty percent women. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost everybody has a university degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a medium income, seventy thousand, seventy five thousand and up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's so people who can afford to come to see live events. Right. Uh, we try to make our uh, every performance. You know, we have a pay what you can, so people of any income bracket can come see it or yeah. our two for one nights. Um, I think our audience is fairly adventurous. You know, they'll they'll go down some rabbit holes with me every now and then. Like, I think Baby J is a bit of a rabbit hole for them. It's going to be a Good to very know. surprising play. <laughs> um, just because it's, it's very topical and it's very sharp. Um, but we, we've taken them down some dark roads before, and uh, they're pretty good. But like I say, every season has balance, right? So if I'm going to do one like that, I want to make sure that surrounding it is some other things that I know they're going to really just adore. So <laughs> and, and Yeah, because you're one of the only yeah. theaters in town that's programming some of the, you, you know, when you talk about the Williams or some of the Irish playwrights. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Um, we did outside Mullingar. And, yeah. Yeah, there's another one we're looking at for next year. Yeah, John season. Patrick Shanley, yeah, that kind yeah. of a thing. And so yeah. the it, it, it seems like you f- feel like you want to balance brand new stuff with stuff that people know about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they may not even know about it. Like Heisenberg, they may not know about that play in Edmonton, but that play's been a major hit all around the world, right? So, yeah. you know, I'm I'm watching where that play has been performed, and, you know, it's had Broadway runs, it's had um, West End runs, and, yeah. you know, it's uh, a play that I know fits well with our, our audience, and mm-hmm. uh, it's, just, it's, a, it's just a beautiful piece, yeah. so, you know. Do you think Edmonton audiences know... What's out there? They know what's on Broadway. They they follow it. They... Uh, no, no, <laughs> not not really. Some do. Yeah, you know, there's always a, a portion of people who are really um, engaged and active. Yeah. but you know, most people don't have the time. Ah, yeah. So, so that's have, my job. They have faith in you yeah, to program right. it. That's to show my them job to bring it in and yeah. say, "Here it is. This yeah. is like the roommate." Um, although they won't let me say it, I'm pretty sure this is a Canadian premiere for <laughs> For whatever reason, her agent doesn't want me to have the Canadian premiere, so I'm I'm kind of you know, a little miffed about that. But, <laughs> That's uh, okay. We'll see it here. Yeah, yeah, That's but great. I can't find anywhere else in Canada. It's been mm-hmm. done. Uh, but it's, a, once again, so I, I follow what, what is Steppenwolf doing, you know, what plays are Steppenwolf doing. And, uh, in Chicago. Yeah, because yeah. it's a company that I admire very much. And, yeah. uh 
you know, it was built organically and uh, much know, like yeah, shadow, a little like shadow, yeah, space. you bet. Yep. And um, and so it popped up on their uh, their list. The roommate, two wow. women, two women in their fifties. Yeah, you know, and it's like, <laughs> yeah. oh, that's an interesting play for us because, of course, I have company members that I have to uh, take into consideration too, with Coralie and Glenn yep. Nelson and. You know, so we're always keeping an eye out for plays for those people too. That's you know, so this is your Heisenberg for Glenn and roommate for Coralie, right? So That's yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, how big's the company at Shadow? Uh, you know, really, it's not that big. It's probably if you consider people who have worked for us a lot, um, like say Dave Clark, um, he's done a show for us every year for twenty five years. Yeah, you know, and Cindy Zuby's been with us for yeah. fifteen, and you know, so it's not just on stage, but the people, yeah, behind people the behind the designers well. and and that kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, when's the next time you're going to act? Well, <gasps> there's there actually is two plays that we're looking at that potentially. Potentially. Oh, you heard it. Yeah. You heard it here first, <laughs> yeah. everybody. John Hudson's going yeah. back to the stage. It's been seven years since I've been on, so you know, I'm worried about my capacity to tame the lines now. But uh, yeah, there's a couple. There's a part in a play that I really love um, that would be really good for me. So yeah, there's there's a couple plays that I really love that made you think, oh, that's a good part for me. Wow. <laughs> so okay, yeah. so way yeah. down. So you're looking way ahead. Yeah, yeah, I think. Uh, we're looking. We're, it's still a couple seasons away, at least. So, okay. Yeah. Well, and with that, that's we're, like, we're going into the first read for the roommate. Yeah, the that's first right. Show. How are you feeling about it? Well, I'm excited about it. It's uh, we have a guest director in for this one. Nancy McAleer is coming in from Toronto. How often do you bring in guests? every season? We try to have at least one. Yeah, yeah. one. Yeah. Um, and that may expand. Right. We may go to two. Um, depending on sort of where I'm at and what I want to do and my commitment to new plays, because that, that takes a lot of work, the commitment to new gonna plays. I was going to say, it and, sucks a lot of your time, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, so, um, and this year I know I have all three shows after Christmas, so I'm just back to back to back, right, yeah. at, of directing, so that's going to that's gonna be a push. Is somebody, yeah. if a director wants to, like, are you open to people bringing ideas as directors, saying, I'm thinking of this script... Like I've had it. I've had people do that, um, but I think only one play has ever made it onto our stage from that. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. So you <laughs> yeah. prefer to say, "I think you're fit for this." Yeah, play. this is the play we're going to do. Would yeah. you like to direct it? Yeah. So yeah, no, yeah. that I just occurs to me. Then like, the roommate will be all women on stage. Oh, woman director. Yeah. Um, wow. That's yeah, pretty, that's and a pretty, pretty substantial. And we have Daniel Van Heist and set and lights, but also Leona Browson and costumes. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh no, it's uh, Car- Carol Van Rensburg on costumes for this one. Wow! And yeah. Uh, so yeah, so a pretty good contingent of female artists, which we're really making a push. Yes. At over there, uh, well, it, it has been kind of unofficially something we've always looked at, but it's something we're becoming more officially <laughs> looking at. So, yeah. As an artistic director, why is that important? Uh, you know, for me, it's uh, it just starts from being having grown up in a household where my mom was breaking glass ceilings, right? She was the first female stockbroker in Alberta. and cool. uh, Grew up in a house with three sisters and a grandmother, and... You know, so women have always been a huge part of my life, you know. I, you have two daughters. I was going to say, I live in my house, my wife and two daughters. And uh, so, yeah, women have always just been a part of it. And so I really want to make sure that we're trying, 
yes, that's my little dog down there telling me something. Hi. Um, so, yeah, we're just trying to make opportunities and also trying to build leadership for the future. Mm-hmm. You know, if we can do that, that would be really great because, you know, we're going to be moving out of the profession in the next 10 years or so. Oh, well, yeah, Sure. Well, I'm yeah, 50, I guess that, 57, right? I guess 61. Yeah. So, you know, our company's going to, there'll be a changeover in our company. and uh, I find that encouraging to hear because it would be a shame if, if simply, just because it's synonymous with John Hudson, Shadow would cease to exist after you decided you wanted to yeah. do it anymore. No, uh, for me, it's one of the things about building a company and building a artistic institution. Mm-hmm is that you want it to carry on for a long time. And we're, we'll leave it in great financial health. So. Yeah, that's the idea. Yeah, that's yeah. the idea. So, Absolutely. Well, you know, that's, that's certainly encouraging to hear. Yeah, uh, thanks. It sounds like you, you're making a push for that now. That like we are. You're starting to plan it now. We are. Wow. Yeah. 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 Big long-term planning. Okay, well, well thank you for this. Yeah, this pleasure, is, This is yeah. really great. I mean, I get uh, <laughs> Well, that was a great interview with John Hudson, and uh, it was quite interesting to learn some secret things about what's happening over at Shadow and um, how he takes some time, how they spend their time in, in determining things, and the fact that they've got some ideas pretty far off into the future. So you have to plan a lot far ahead, especially if you're developing new plays, which is something that he is definitely committed to doing. Speaking of things that are coming in the future... Um, the Fringe Lottery has been has been <laughs> yes. announced. Love yes. good segues. Yeah. Um, so the Fringe Festival is if is the largest festival of its kind in North America. The, Ed, the Edmonton one, which I think is very impressive. Wow. I don't know how many people know that, but it's a great fun fact in about North Edmonton. America? Fact in North America, wow. I believe the only one that it's outdone by is the Edinburgh Fringe <sighs> Festival, which was the original. Huge. So, okay. Wow. Fun facts. So the lottery's on Monday, speaking of, you know, things that are planned out far ahead, because I feel like Fringe Festival just happened. I don't know how other people feel. I'm sure the people that are working for the Fringe Festival and the artists that were in the Fringe Festival also feel like the Fringe Festival just happened. And now we're planning for 2020, as we do in the crazy festival world. Wow. Um, Sooner sooner and sooner. uh, Absolutely. Um, So on Monday, there's approximately 100 shows that will be awarded an official spot in the Fringe Festival. And basically what that means is that they're given a, about an $8,000 value uh, of support to produce a play. Um, and so that's including venues and techs and PR support and marketing support. and uh, Set design, I think, some amount, some some money to spend on really? that kind of thing. Wow. Isn't it? Potentially. I actually have no idea. That's true. <laughs> well, maybe it should be. Sure. <laughs> um, and, and I think one of the things... That's really interesting about it is it is a legitimate lottery. So we were just talking about, you know, how people plan for a play or how people plan for a season. And this is kind of the exact opposite where you don't have somebody curating these artists and saying, well, this and this and this make a really great festival or a really great season. It's literally anyone can put their name in a hat and they get chosen to be in this festival it's, it's a big drum that they throw everyone's name say, in what kind of hat is it it's a very very big hat josh wow <laughs> a that's huge hat that's quite the hat <laughs> yes it's a big like like a bingo drum if we're ah. you know one of those things with yes. like, the big crank I get that. um and a very formal 
Yes, raffle lottery. Exactly. Yeah. And there's 100 spots that are chosen and randomly selected. So, you know, next time you go to the Fringe, keep that in mind that it's it's really fair game for anyone. These Some people are maybe brand new artists and have never produced a play before. Some people are complete veterans in our community that are producing their 30th Fringe show. So, so it's, cool. it is very Bright cool. Bright Young Things, I mean, Belinda talks about it, did all of their stuff at the Fringe mm-hmm. before being invited to be a part of the Varsicona mm-hmm. Ensemble. And it is important to note that if you do not make the Fringe Lottery, that you can apply to be a BYOV, so bring your own venue. So there's still opportunity if you don't get into that sort of like Fringe proper, we'll call it, mm. um, that you can still, there's still find your own venue. Yeah, there's still lots to, of ways to, to participate. So to the Fringe. Yeah. Good luck to all the participants on Monday. It's good exciting. Good luck, everybody. Good luck. That is pretty cool. Have yeah. you guys actually been a, have gone to see this Draw? I have, yes. You've, so it, everyone stands around the drum and hears their they, name? Being yeah, they, they set up chairs and you can go oh. and you can watch. Like You don't have to also be participating. Do they televise this thing? I believe it's on Facebook. I do oh. think do a Facebook, Facebook Live. Live. Yeah. Oh. So wow. check that out. Katie's a little skeptical about Facebook Live lately. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's... Uh, Am I? Has it got, you think it's run its course? I think it used to be a big thing, and now it's it's, it's leveled off. It's just a thing. It's yeah. leveled off. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just a thing as opposed to a big thing, which yeah. is pretty the way a lot of the marketing yeah. tools work. It's yeah. like really big, and then it comes down to earth again, which is fine. QR codes. Oh, yeah. QR Remember codes. Those? <laughs> so ugly. No graphic designers we work with like QR codes. No. We'll have a curio meeting one day, a curio interview, and talk about QR codes. I think it's time to move on to our one thing. Let's talk about one thing we're excited about seeing or hearing in our arts and entertainment community, and I'm going to jump in with The Skin of Our Teeth from Bright Young Things and Varscona Theatre Ensemble. We've been talking about it a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I know that Belinda chooses stuff that is really good, and as, as we know from our article and what we've discussed, can't wait to see that. Awesome. I'm going to shamelessly plug an event that I <laughs> am helping to coordinate. Wow. And this is not BLP related. This is something that I'm, because I'm, I'm a part of my community league. Um, and oh, so, yay. yeah. That's awesome. So, yeah, so I'm helping to plan uh, a winter event for my community league called Winterfest that's happening on December 7th. And it's a community event. And I love community events. And uh, so that's what I'm looking forward to. And where well, is it? To come see you. It's at the Queen Mary Park Community League, which is. Uh, just north of Oliver Square, basically, if you know where, like, the big cemetery is downtown. Yeah. North Just Central north of Edmonton. there. And then we go into Holland Plaza, where, like, Donut Party and Cafe Linnea and Wine Gallery and a bunch of other businesses that are there are going to be doing, um, they're going to have, like, photos with Santa and giving away prizes oh. and that kind of a thing. So. Uh, so the thing I'm excited for comes from the Music Roundup. Uh, I'm excited for a newly released record by St. Arno. Uh, they're a local band. Um, they're friends of mine. They're really good. I'm excited to give it a listen. And they're bringing it to the Rec Room in South Edmonton on November 28th. Sounds... On November 28th. Sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Speaking Artistically is produced by Bottom Line Productions and published by Taproot Edmonton. You can find links to everything we mentioned on the show notes at speakingartistically.taprootedmonton.ca. You can also stay up to date on everything that's happening by subscribing to the Arts Roundup at taprootedmonton.ca. Speaking Artistically can be found everywhere podcasts are available. While you're there, leave us a rating and review. You can also get in touch with us on our social handle at BottomLinePro. Until next time, I'm Josh. (laughs) I'm Kate. I'm Katie. And we're Speaking Speaking Artistically. Artistically.